host of The Cell. I invite you to listen to our program every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. I would also like to thank you for listening to Community Radio on WGRN LP like 94.1 FM, like Columbus. My host, Mr. Ernest Kelly, and also our guest today is Natalie Donnelly. Natalie is Program Manager of African American Health at the James Comprehensive Cancer Center and Center for Cancer Health Equity. So that's a very long title there, Natalie. Can you share with our listeners what your current position is at OSU and what you do? Yeah, so like you said, um, I co-manage the African-American Minority Health Sector of the Center for Cancer Health Equity. So the Center for Cancer Health Equity is a division that is under the James Comprehensive Cancer Center, um, and we are the leading train, per se, for community engagement and education um, that revolves around um, specific cancers, making sure that we are targeting the misrepresented and underdeserved communities Um, making sure that they are getting access to appropriate preventative health screenings, um, as well as social services. And we bring out our medical mobile, such as our mammogram mobile, our community coach, and we currently have a prostate mobile that um, is housed in Indiana, and we bring that in for um, particular men health um, focused um, months and particular events. And we have a lung cancer screening mobile that is um, about to make its premiere, um, hopefully next month, um, if not October. So, so my role is to specifically target African American minority health, determine what is the biggest disparity in that group when it comes to cancer-related diagnoses or comorbidities, and increasing the awareness as well as screening and access um, to make sure that we can de- decrease those health disparities and social determinants that create those disparities. You have a lot going on in your plate, Natalie. <laughs> you really do. How how did you come about putting in for that position? So um, I have, for the last 24 years, I have been working in a mixed clinical and community outreach role um, in many facets uh, throughout my roles in the healthcare systems as well as in community development corporation. Um, I currently serve as the board secretary for the James Walter Mitchell Community Development Corporation, in which we serve um, constituents on the Near East Side, Old Town East, and Old Oaks districts. Um, So my role in that position um, was also to lead our health outreach program through the City of Zion Church. And in doing so, and, and doing a needs assessment, of the African-American minority populations, health access was one of the biggest concerns. You know, with validity, we have mistrust um, within the African-American health population due to particular research, historical incidents that happened where um, African-Americans and Blacks and immigrants were mistreated. And so I felt that it was my due diligence to make sure that everybody had the appropriate information and education to make the best informed decision for themselves. So in doing that, I linked up externally with Dr. Daryl Gray, who was the Deputy Medical Director of the Center for Cancer Health Equity. And we you know, began to devise some programming along with some other African-American physicians um, and researchers at all three institutions here in the city. Um, and in doing so, this position was created and this is my fourth time returning to OSU. So I, I'm elated. I just have an overwhelming passion 
to serve and make sure that our populations have what they need to live more quality of life. I noticed that you said that uh, you work with the city of Zion Church. Is mm -hmm. that the only, you know, that particular area, is that the only area that you work with or are you branching out to other areas? Um, I work with, um, so most of the churches in the city, um, I focus mainly on African-American populated churches, um, whether that's the Baptist denomination, whether it's non-denominational, um, some of the AME churches. I work very closely with the Friendship Missionary Baptist Church under uh, Dr. Scotty Aaron and Health Director Lolita Davis, who's also one of my colleagues at OSU. And they are very supportive in us bringing in these health and wellness screening events to make sure, again, that we're reaching all the high-risk areas of Columbus. So our biggest high-risk areas in Columbus are uh, Franklinton areas, as well as the Near East, London, Old Town East, Old Oaks District. So those are my priority focus. However, I do branch out making sure that I'm reaching the largest percentage of African-American minority immigrant populations in the city. That sounds like a pretty big task. Nellie, how early in life did you uh, decide you wanted to pursue a career in the field you're in now? And also, how long, you said uh, you've been with OSU, this is your fourth time. How how long has the uh, Health Equity uh, Center been in existence? Um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, so early on, so I was exposed um, through my family. My family exist of healthcare providers, nurses, engineers, and specifically um, my dad's family were very, we consider ourselves very spiritually minded and wanting to give back. And so I was exposed to mission work and fulfilling God's purpose and helping thy neighbor um, at a very young age. I also feel like um, I just have been blessed with the knowledge and wisdom and passion that it takes to serve those that are less fortunate than me. So being exposed with mission work early on, it was just kind of geared into me, but I, I feel like God instilled me at a very young age to be somebody that was gonna be there to comfort and help people. So as I've gotten older and have been you know, exposed to different facets of mission work and serving in the communities, um, it's just continued to, you know, outgrow and um, take over my spirit in providing that. Um, and then the Center for Cancer Health Equity has been with the James for about 10 years, or actually, I think it was 12 years that they were formed. And it's led by our president, Dr. Electra Pasquet, who is a leading researcher with specifically cervical and breast cancers in the Appalachian populations. So uh, we have different sectors. Um, so we cover African-American minority health. We cover um, the Somali populations, Nepali populations, the LBGTQ plus populations. We also cover the Appalachian areas. So any areas that, you know, are, are high risk for misrepresentation or underdeserved. If, if uh, someone listening uh, to us today, if they wanted to pursue a, a career or going to your field, what's the path to get there? I mean, what, what courses would they have to take, uh, characteristics, that kind of thing? Sure. Um, so typically, um, 
overall, the Center for Cancer Health Equity is uh, a mix of, you know, clinical providers um, such as physicians. Um, we have mid-tier providers such as nurse practitioners and physician assistants. Um, we have some nursing and clinical staff. Um, I My clinical background is with hyperbaric medicine, hospice, and uh, tissue recovery and organ procurement for transplant. And we have a realm of researchers, um, from research assistants to lead investigators. And then uh, most of our administrative and senior leadership, typically the route you want to go is a master's of healthcare administration or a master's of public health. Those two degrees specifically focus in on uh, disparity, health disparity, equity, inequities, uh, racism, um, social determinants. Um, so those are things that we really focus on and try and decrease those barriers to then decrease the disparity percentage. What we have found, Ernie, really fascinating when we, uh, this past Thursday, we were at the Lift Her Up, you know, Lift Her Up event that was put on by the um, African American Wellness Walk, is that correct? I know I'm probably saying oh, messing around. African American Mental Wellness Agency. Uh huh. The African American okay. Mental right. Wellness Agency. <laughs> I thought I was tearing it it's up. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> it is a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah. And yes. Ernie, what was fascinating was that uh, Natalie had taken us to look at some of the jets because it was done in a, a, a hangar. And look at some of the private jets that were transporting live tissue. And it was hearts, uh, lungs, and various types of organs. And how they were, Natalie, I'm going to let you explain what was happening (laughs) at that time because, I mean, you can explain it so much better. It was just fascinating to listen to her uh, give us a blow-by-blow detail of what was taking place you know, when that yeah. plane landed until it got to the the transportation to take it to the hospital. So could you share that with us, please? Yeah. So um, like I mentioned before, I uh, was a tissue recovery technician and organ perfusionist. Um, so we are responsible for going in and removing skin, muscle, tendon, bone, heart valves, corneas, and veins um, for transplant for various uh, different things, as well as organ perfusion, which organ perfusion is um, keeping the viability of the organs um, until they're transplanted. So um, the signature flight hangar is a private jet hangar here on the west end of the airport. And that is the hangar that we utilize to fly in and out of when we're going on tissue and organ cases. Um, So, of course, you know, my team had reached out to me, said they were coming in. And I said, what better way, why we're here at this health and wellness event, to gather some people so they can see one of the the tiny pieces that is integral in um, getting tissue and organs to save lives. So um, I went around and, and pulled people that I knew uh, would be interested in it, and the jets came in, and the first jet that came in had heart and lungs, so they were able to see the the perfusion uh, machine that, again, pumps the heart and lungs, and we use specific sodium chloride and RPMI, which is an antibiotic, um, to flush the organs and make sure that they maintain their viability um, and they're free of any bacteria prior to transplant. So I just felt, you know, nobody gets to see that every day. 
and people really don't understand the process and how many hands um, are in the pot and what hours and time that it takes from the time of recovery to the time of transplant in the midst of, again, saving, saving lives through tissue and organ and eye donation. So I heard you say, did you say veins they mm-hmm. use it for? So saphenous stains, the main use of saphenous stains is actually for dialysis shunts. So they're the most natural shunts that we can create um, for dialysis patients. So most dialysis patients can't withstand the synthetic shunts for a long period of time and end up, unfortunately, with infections or occlusion. So utilizing the saphenous stains for that um, really decreases their increased risk and infection and occlusion and having to have their shunts removed multiple times. That's crazy. If you guys excuse me for a minute, we need to take an identification break. Hi, this is Ernest Kelly with the Faith Thomas Foundation. You're listening to The Cell on 94.1 FM, WGRN, and WGRN.org worldwide. Listen to us every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. (laughs) It was really fascinating, Ernie. It really was. And you said that there's somebody that stays with uh, the the organs or what's being transplanted all the way through? Absolutely. So we have what's called chain of custody. Um, so that means you take accountability from the time that organ's removed from the body until we get it in the hands of the next transplant surgeon um, to then transplant into the donor, into the recipient. So um, there's, there's a lot of regulations, a lot of paperwork. It's something that clearly we can't take lightly, and we want to ensure that we're taking the best care um, of those gifts for the recipients that we receive from the donors. Yeah, are you allowed to disclose what airport? Uh-huh. It's a signature flight hangar. Um, so it is at 4130 East 5th Avenue. Um, and the neat thing about the signature flight hangar is it was built in 1941 and actually served uh, during World War II and continued wars as where they built the fighter bomb jets. Um, it also, in hangar two, where we specifically had our health and wellness event, um, was where they built the nose of the Challenger that John Glenn went up in. So um, there's some really unique historical facts about that place. So once I found that out um, and I began having nonprofit fundraising events there and now incorporating these health and wellness events there, that just adds to the uniqueness of the space, you know, in conjunction to 20,000 square feet that allows us to maintain you know, COVID spacing and safety guidelines um, now that, you know, we're still currently in a pandemic. And the Signature Flight Hangar executives have been beyond supportive with me in making sure that we're serving our communities. Yeah, I I was trying to to place where that was at because I I used to work for the post office over at the airport. And I know Uh where Lane Aviation used to be at over there. And and I was trying to think because I know like Les Wexner used to have a hangar over there where his private jet was mm-hmm. over there at, but I haven't been over there in years. So I'm <laughs> yeah. trying to. It's still uh, there. It's just a name change, um, but it actually sits um, adjacent to the DSW warehouse. Oh, got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing so much work over there now. Uh, it's just hard to. To tell what they're building and 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 what's 
what's gone from over that because it's changed drastically from when I used to work over there. Yeah, yeah, it has. Um, but geographically, it is dead center um, to all of our underdeserved communities in the city. So that was another reason that it was a unique space for us to utilize for this specific health and wellness event. Um, also, too, there's 14 bus stops along Fifth Avenue between 670 and James, um, and two of those bus stops are actually at the entrance of uh, the hangar uh, parking lot. So, you know, it just it just was perfect at the end of the day for the spacing, the historical value, the care of community mission that the signature uh, flight hangar carry within themselves and their, you know, business mission, as well as access, because access is one of the number one reasons that um, a lot of patients in these areas don't go for continuity of care because they just don't have the transportation um, or the access to get to appointments. Were were you guys (laughs) instrumental in getting those kind of uh, places put in place? As far as the venue? Uh, The bus stops, that kind of thing. Were you guys, did you have an input on that? So um, the bus stops were already in place, but the space in itself, um, we initially, the planning for this event actually started back in September. um, And so I was not the program manager of the event at the time, um, but with the partnership with the African-American Mall Wellness Agency um, and trying to find space, they originally wanted to use the King Arts Complex. So when I came on board in February um, and I'm like, have you really been there? Have you seen the the dimensions of the auditorium? And at that time, you know, our goal was to have 300 patients who got served. And I said, we for certain aren't gonna fit 300 people in this space. And um, on top of that, to have to maintain the safety guidelines for COVID, uh, we just would not be able to maintain those regulations. Um, and then when we started incorporating, utilizing our medical mobiles, which, you know, are 40 feet long buses, basically, I said, you know what, let me just reach out to the hangar. I've been having fundraising events there for the last nine years. Let's see if we can, you know, get them to agree. And sure enough, um, they make jokes with me, and, and Felice has been there uh, when the general manager <laughs> says he just raises my eye. He's like, I just raised my eyebrow, and I know to triple it when she comes at me. So um, so, so I'm grateful for that. But um, they were super excited, and they're like, you know, this is going to be a one-stop shop for medical care and insurance access and everything else, so we can't say no. Um, and sure enough, they in-kind donated the space. And, you know, I had to give Jeff some flack back. I'm like, hey, I, I write a pretty hefty check <laughs> to have my fundraising events here. And, and you're giving them OSU zero dollars. So um, so I had to give him some <laughs> flack back. But um, I, I, you know, I was so blessed and fortunate that they said yes, and they for sure in-kind donated the space. So we're very grateful. Um, we've honored them. Um, we gave them a love donation, which they turned around and ended up giving that to the Franklin County Animal Shelter and Adoption Center. So, oh, that's, um, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so again, just a great partnership, a great relationship, and we couldn't have been, you know, um, more excited and, and thankful to have that space. Natalie, could you share with our listeners? Uh, some of the vendors that were there, because if you do this again in the future, if they weren't able to make it, you know, this, you know, this past one, 
and mm-hmm. do it again in the future. So then that way they can kind of know like what type of vendors were there and they can try to make the effort, you know, to make it next time. Absolutely. Um, so the Center for Cancer Health Equity actually, um, along with the James, has over 250 community partners that include both government and local levels of community partners. So Franklin County Public Health was there. The Columbus Public Health were there. They have initiatives um, for smoking cessation. They have their baby and me programs for maternal health. Um, they can provide vaccines. Equitas was in presence this time doing the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, we had the American Heart Association, which is our leading sponsor for our biometric screening, Life Simple 7, in which Dr. Tamaya Nolan um, leads that research initiative for African-American women through cardiovascular disease and breast cancer. We had eating counseling services. They were there to provide substance abuse and rehabilitation and detox services. Um, We had our cancer community support. Um, So they do some survivorship and uh, some cancer resources for cancer patients. Um, We had the most amazing Faith Thomas Foundation there who was partnered (laughs) with our sickle cell um, team. And so they worked really well together with also our Versity blood bank. And Versity um, is very unique because they um, only have a partnership with the Ohio State University. So all the blood that's donated through their blood drives, 100% of that goes back to OSU. And a large percent of that, percentage of that actually goes towards the sickle cell patient clinic. So uh, we, we, we gather them together so they can network together and, and bring all their, their resources full force and really get the sickle cell awareness out there. We had all of our clinical nurse specialists um, throughout the James, through all of our cancer service lines, doing education, giving resources, doing some assessments. We had, who else did we have? We had, yeah, so we had care oh, source. to give everybody fans. Yeah, yes, we had them. We had United Healthcare. Um, so just, you know, a realm of different partners, again, from the local and governmental levels um, that really support this, including our Stephanie Spillman Breast Center, Mammogram Mobile. We had our Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center Community Coach. We had our OSU Culinary Mobile, who made phenomenal, tasty food for us um, that meets the American Heart Association and American Diabetes Association guidelines. Yeah. I went back four times, sorry. <laughs> yeah. They, it they, was they, delicious. Katie yeah. McCurdy. Yeah. Katie McCurdy. They talk about there. healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they made yeah. a, a chickpea avocado sandwich, Ernie, um, and it, it was pretty delicious. Um, had some bean sprouts and a special little sauce. And it was on wheat bread, wasn't it, please? Um, yes, it was. Yeah, it was on wheat it, bread. It and the, quite tasty. And the bread was tasty, yeah. So <laughs> they do a phenomenal job. But Yeah, yeah thanks for sharing that. hmm Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the food. Yeah, it's all about the food at the end of the day. I I. I do have the recipe that I can send to you, Ernest, so you could post it on Facebook for us. It was delicious. <laughs> I just I'm have to wonder to if I'll ever try to make it myself, you know. But, um, <laughs> it was yeah. delicious. I do kind of want to um, 
get into a little bit more uh, in regards to and from reading uh, your your bio here. Um, mm-hmm. I had started recently, I don't know when I started, but I started watching, you know, going through Netflix and watching movies that were real-life stories of mm-hmm. sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. And I saw in your bio that you are involved and, uh, in, you know, that you have been or you are involved in organizations that have to deal with sex trafficking. And mm-hmm. I I felt a real empathy for you that you were like, wow, she was involved in that. She was actually helping or changing lives or giving young ladies hope that they could somehow get out of that. And then, and that was because I had uh, watched at least three or four um, actual true stories, you know, like Mm -hmm. I said, on Netflix. So can you share with us how you got involved in that? Yeah. So um, through In Christie's Shoes, um, that is uh, the nonprofit that I'm chair over the silent live and art auction. Um, So we are actually the funder of our community partners. So uh, we have raised over a million dollars in the last 14 years. And our goal every year Um, Every September, our community partners can apply for funding um, for the services and resources that they provide the women that we empower here in the city. And so we give 10 organizations um, an equal amount of money that is $150,000 every year. Um, And so uh, Christy is the twin sister of our founder, Katrina uh, Zydell, and Christy passed away 15 years ago of uh, a glio. A blastoma, which is a brain tumor. Um, oh, wow. And so in doing so and meeting Katrina, you know, they came back and we had some conversations and she said, I, I cannot not ask you to be a part of this organization. So um, having already worked with Choices and Dress for Success, which ended up being our community partners after we got established, um, what better way to incorporate us all together. So in doing so and branching out through community partners, she has a name was created um, and she has a name specifically does um, education and training in large organizations, barbershops, beauty salons, schools, to really understand the signs, uh, the universal signs of help of these women and young girls who are in the midst of a trafficking issue. And so there's specific hand gestures, specific eye gestures, body language that we train our community partners and organizations and these salons, um, boutiques to pay attention to so they can then obviously intervene, contact law enforcement, and try our very best to get these girls back. So um, just just starting out there and then just working together. Uh, We have about 14 community partners that work specifically for women who are affected by human trafficking. Um, But all of us mainly, um, our main focus is any woman in the city that is affected by human trafficking, unemployment, homelessness, substance abuse, domestic abuse, and cancer. Um, We really try and come together and create the best resources that we can to get these women back on their feet. So so our, our mission and, and what we say within Christie's Shoes is that uh, we're providing resources from the soul up to really empower these women to get their lives back and really get back on track and start their lives over in the best way that they can. So we have an associate degree that we have created through CCAD 
as well as scholarship. Um, we have some endowments that are available, and we work with a, a community partner that specifically um, raises money only to have these women regain their identity through getting new birth certificates, uh, driver's license, social security cards, and really providing safe housing for them until they're, they're back on their feet, back into the workforce, or back into an education program to then advance in the workforce. As always, our time has run out, so we ask you to please tune in next week for part two of our discussion with Natalie Donnelly. With that being said, this is Felice, your host. Peace out. The Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to The Cell. We broadcast on WGRN 94.1 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WGRN 94.1. For more information on the Faith Thomas Foundation, please visit our website, Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is FaithThomasFDN.